everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. As uh, Steph said, um, my name is Lumi. Uh, I am uh, Eric's wife. Uh, we have two daughters, Anna and Theo, and we've been at the Vineyard here for about two years now, um, almost, and um, during this time, many of you, some of you, uh, heard part of my story. Um, I grew up in Romania in, uh, uh, in the 80s, a very volatile time in our country, but one of the blessings of having been born in a non-Western country uh, and then living in the West is that I uh, had the privilege of seeing life in general and experiencing the Christian faith in particular uh, from two different perspectives. Persecution, uh, underground church, communism in Romania, and from the perspective of freedom here in America. But I also had the privilege of Uh, living in in two different countries that looked at the spiritual world differently from from different perspectives. A country where witchcraft is prevalent, where the manifestations of the power of darkness are, are seen out in the open and are experienced by people from a very young age, as I had, and uh, people believe that they exist. Uh, In fact, the most powerful witch in Europe. Mihaela Minka is Romanian. Uh, She was awarded by the International Council of Witchcraft, the Excellence in the Art of Wizardry, fellow Romanian winning an international award for practicing the occult. That's where I come from. And then here in the West, where most people, including Christians, do not believe that the demonic influences lives, and it's, a, it's an evil force behind many events in our lives. It is what C.S. Lewis said. I believe this uh, quote has been posted before here, but here is what he says. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They, the the devils, themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or someone who doesn't believe in in the spiritual world or a magician with the same delight. If we had the ability to see what happens behind this this electromagnetic curtain into the spiritual world, we would be entirely different people. We would see a world of angels, both God's angels and the angels of darkness, battling nonstop for the souls of people, including our own. To a superficial observer, Life is a mixture of good and bad situations, successes and failures, joys and sorrow that, that, that seem to have no clear defined laws that govern them. 
to people can start in life exactly the same way, with the same advantages, the same mental abilities and opportunities, and one becomes successful and healthy and prosperous and has a healthy and happy old age, and another one, the other one, seems to always be followed by a shadow and lives in constant frustration and failure and sickness and poverty. And if we look at these situations only from an earthly understanding, from a non-spiritual perspective, it's hard for us to find adequate reasons and answers for it. But if we look beyond what is seen, what we realize is that there are spiritual forces that are involved and at work behind the scenes in our lives and in our world around us. And Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the spiritual world, of these tricks of the devil. And we saw in uh, John Mark Homer's book that we looked at for several weeks, uh, Live No Lies, that there are basically three enemies that sabotage our peace, that rob us of our victory in Christ and stifle our spiritual growth. And they are the flesh, the world, and the devil. And today I would like us to go a little bit deeper and understand this, this enemy the devil who prefers not to be unmasked, who loves to be hidden, who likes to work from the shadows, who wants people to believe that he doesn't exist, who likes to be present but no one to notice him, and who wants Christians to think that he has no power over them. Remember the invisible man? I read that book when I was a teenager. Once no one sees you, you can do whatever you want. When people deny your existence, no one will oppose you. When no one pays attention to you, you can do whatever you want. An invisible enemy, an enemy that no one knows what he is up to, that no one talks about, is the most dangerous enemy. That's why Paul says, don't be ignorant. We are not ignorant of his schemes, of the schemes of this fallen angelic being that is your enemy. <clears throat> it's interesting that some of the biggest theologians of the last century, Bultmann, for example, one of the authorities in New Testament biblical studies, didn't believe in demons. Here is what he says. We cannot use electric lights and radios, and in the event of illness, avail ourselves of modern medical and clinical means, and at the same time, believe in the spirit and wonder world of the New Testament. A New Testament scholar who denied this facet of evil and its existence. And this is Satan's favorite strategy, to work incognito so he can do his dirty works. And today I would like us to look at the character of this being that the Bible describes as our enemy, and then look at some of his schemes through which he gains access into our lives, and the resources that we have to stand up to him and to gain victory in our lives. Now it's important to know that this fallen angel is not someone that we should fear. 
Yes, he's genial in his intelligence. He perfected his, his schemes throughout the millennia, but his power is limited, and we mustn't fear him. So let's look at how the Bible describes Satan. In the Bible, a name has enormous significance in defining a person's character. God's name, Yahweh or Yahweh, is very important in describing who God is. I am who I am. I am that I am Yahweh. The same way as with, with the names that the Bible gives to our enemy, the, uh, Satan. They, uh, they describe the character, these names describe the character traits that are specific to him. And there are at least 28 names that the Bible has for this fallen angel. And each name describes a side of his personality and how he operates. We're not going to talk about all of them. We're going to talk just about a few of them. And one of Satan's names in scripture is Abaddon or Apollyon, which means the destroyer. And this is Satan's number one specialty, to destroy the works of God, the perfection, the order, and the glory of God in his creation. And the most important of God's creation is the human race, is us. Satan is the architect of death and destruction. He's a dirty fighter, but because he cannot attack God, he cannot touch God, he attacks what God loves most. He attacks what hurts God the most. He attacks the apple of God's eye. That is you and me. And one way that he attacks is through deception. One of his tricks is to influence people's minds and ways of thinking. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is Satan's number one specialty, to destroy the works of Christ, to blind people's minds, to stop them from believing that Jesus is the Son of God and he can give them salvation. And once blinded, people don't even realize that they are doing the will of the devil. Satan came to destroy and discredit the ministry of the gospel, the teaching, healing, and, and the delivering of people from demonic oppression. That was the trifold ministry of Jesus Christ on earth. Satan is Abaddon. He is the destroyer. Another name that Satan has is the accuser of the brother, of the brothers and sisters. Revelation 12, 10. When Satan looks at us, he doesn't look for what is good in us. He doesn't Look at the virtues that we have, what is good in us, the things that we do that are pleasing and good and helpful. When Satan looks at you and me, he looks for what sins have we committed? What temptations we gave into today or yesterday to accuse us before God and before people? That is his character trait. He is the accuser. And you know, every time we look at each other, and we cannot see 
the qualities of the other person or appreciate their giftings and, and their talents and, and the good things that they do. But we see only their mistakes and their weaknesses and their faults. We look more like the accuser of the brethren than like Jesus. So we need to be careful. Another name for Satan in the Bible is the adversary. First Peter 5.8, be alert and of sober mind. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. We resist the devil. We flee temptation, but we resist the devil standing firm in the faith. Another name for Satan is an angel of light. Satan can turn himself into an angel of light, the Bible says. In other words, he pretends to be something or someone he's not. Why does he do that? To hide his intentions. And we need to be wise and be aware of his schemes. Other names that Satan has are the angel of the abyss, Revelation 9, 11, the Antichrist, the opposite of Christ, Beelzebub, the, the Lord of flies or insects, Belial, the perverted one, the great dragon, the old serpent, murderer from the beginning, ruler of the kingdom of the air, Ephesians 2, 2, the tempter, a thief, a wolf. These are some of Satan's personality traits, and he is the opposite of God, and he is after us. But we must not be ignorant or naive of his schemes and say, oh, but I don't, I don't believe in that. Uh, the subject doesn't interest me. I don't want to be scared. I don't bother Satan. Why would she, should, should he bother me? I have nothing to do with him. The Bible warns us, be alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls like a lion seeking to devour you. And we don't want to talk about it. We must talk about it. So we must know how to recognize his presence and be equipped with that spiritual protective equipment, the armor of God with all the resources that God is giving us and we have at our disposal to resist him. So these are some of the names that describe Satan in Scripture. Now, let's look at some of the ways that Satan gains access in our lives. And I would like us to look at a passage in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 28. I will not read it because it's long, um, so I'll describe it to you. Here are the people of Israel. They are about to enter the promised land. And God is present there with them. And he tells Moses, their leader, before you as a nation, settle in the land that I'm giving you. I want you to go to Mount Ebal, and I want you to go to Mount Gerazim, gather the people there, divide the 12 tribes into two camps, six tribes to go to Mount Gerazim and six tribes to go to Mount Ebal, build an altar there, and there you should proclaim the blessings and the curses that I'm giving you. And what will govern your life from now on as a new nation will not be your military power. 
will not be the techniques you will use to improve your agriculture, how thick your walls are around your camp and your, your, your cities to protect yourself from other nations, what will determine your happiness and your longevity in this new land is if I bless you, you will be blessed. You will be the head and not the tail. You'll be first and not last. You'll be above and not below. But if I curse you, as a result of disobedience, you will become a byword, a mockery, a shame to the surrounding nations. And they will look at you and they will point at you with their finger and say, their God cursed them because they broke the vow that they made to him. Blessings and curses are forces that operate behind the scenes in the spiritual realm and they affect us and they affect our families and they affect our nation more than what we are taught to believe. It's interesting that even though blessings and curses are talked about at least 640 times in the Bible, it is such a vast subject uh, all throughout scripture, we rarely hear about this important subject. Now, we like to talk about blessings. We bless each other, and that's wonderful. But most of us have never learned how to detect the possibility of a curse that can be present in our life or that runs through our family line or is present even in our churches. Do you feel like no matter how hard you try, you can never get ahead. You can never get strong and healthy and happy. Your children don't talk to you or they're always in trouble or there is always strife in your home. You can't keep a job. Your finances always run out no matter how careful you are. Have you experienced any of these things chronically? And have you resigned to the fact that whatever you struggle with is because, well, that's what my mother had, that's what my father had, grandfather? Have you accepted the lie that in your situation there is nothing that can be done except medicate and hope for the best? Now, I want us to look today at an answer that may be different than what we are used to in our culture, especially here in the West, at a spiritual aspect and explanation to some of the difficulties that we encounter in our lives. Now, I was a nurse for 10 years. I believe in medicine. I believe in medication. I believe that they can be a gift from God, and they are. But when there is no explanation for an illness or a difficulty, I want us to allow for the possibility that a curse maybe could be at the root of that emotional, physical illness, relational distress that we feel. Because what we want more than anything else in this life is to remain under the cover of God's blessing and not to be aloof of the schemes of the enemy. And I would like us to look at some ways by which curses can come into our lives. And for us to search our hearts and see if our struggles, if our constant inability to gain victory over certain situations in our life are not directly related to a curse. 
And I would like us to look at a couple of possibilities. One way by which curses can weasel into our lives is through our own words. Curses that are self-inflicted. And if you don't like the word curse, I believe Emotionally Focused calls it a declaration that you make with your mouth that can have negative long-term effects in your life. And here's an example from the Bible of someone who spoke something with your mouth that was negative. Rebecca, the Old Testament, she has two sons, she has twins, Esau and Jacob. Now, Esau was the oldest, and he was in line to receive the fortune of his father, um, Isaac. And Rebecca loved Jacob more than she loved Esau. She loved her youngest son more than she loved her oldest. And she wanted Jacob to have the blessing of inheritance. So she teaches her son Jacob to deceive his father so he can inherit the blessing and the fortune of the family. And when Rebecca does that, when she teaches her son to lie and to deceive her father, she says something very interesting to her, to her son. She says, Jacob, let your curse, my son, fall on me. When Jacob's brother Esau found out that Jacob stole his blessing, vowed to kill his brother, Jacob runs from his brother. And we know from Scripture that Rebecca never saw her favorite son again. She died a depressed woman who hated her life according to her word in Scripture. Let your curse fall on me. Did her curse count? Or was it just empty words? I believe it counted. Curses can come into our lives as a result of negative words that we speak over ourselves. But curses can come into our lives because of words spoken to us by people in authority over us. Parents to children, grandparents to grandchildren, pastors from pastors, from mentors, people that we look up to, teachers to students. You're dumb. You'll never go to college. You'll never amount to anything. Those are not mere words. These are curses that are spoken, and they have power. Also, words that husbands say to wives. And we can look again at the story of Jacob. So Jacob runs from his brother uh, Esau, and he goes to his uncle, and there he marries his cousin, Rachel. His uncle becomes his father-in-law, and Jacob works for his father-in-law for many, many years. And when he finally leaves his father-in-law's house, Jacob's wife, Rachel, steals her father's house idols. Her father runs after them as they were leaving and asks about the idols. And Jacob, not knowing that the idols were in his wife's possession, what does he do? He pronounces a curse on anyone who had the idols. Genesis 31, 32, with whoever you will find your gods, he will not live. Rachel was the love of his life. And Rachel, instead of saying, stop 
Don't curse me. I took the idols and, and rid herself of this, this curse that her husband spoke over her unknowingly. She thought, well, just like many of us do. Ah, oh, just empty words. Just empty words, not a big deal. But we know from the Bible that Rachel dies young while giving birth to her son, Benjamin. Why? Could it be? Because the head of the house, the one who was in authority over the house and over her, her husband spoke a curse over her. Lesson for us? Husbands, bless your wives. Your blessing matters. Your words can bring life or they can bring death over your families and your relationship. Then there are other causes for curses that can come through, through objects that, can, that, that were used in idol worship. And I say this as someone who has lived in a country where those were used. Um, objects that were connected with some kind of idol worship, and they're often sold as beautiful uh, uh, works of art, beautiful objects of art and souvenirs, and, but they could become vehicles for curses because they once represented a deity or an idol that people worshiped. And we know that Satan wants more than anything to be worshiped. And he's always behind and always has been behind all idol worship. So watch for what appears to be harmless objects and souvenirs, especially coming from other countries, like masks that are often used in idol worship and, and, and religious rituals. Objects from Asia like dragons, um, even some, some things that are made by uh, American Indians, some jewelry, sometimes they speak incantations over those, those things. Uh, decorated elephants, they're beautiful, those who come from India, but, but they can be vehicles of demonic activity. When we, um, when we lived in England, when we moved to this flat, um, and in a cabinet in the kitchen, we found this, um, this elephant and a small altar and a rug that somebody left behind. And when I saw it, I immediately threw it in the garbage. Why? Biblically, that was an accursed thing. Deuteronomy 7, 25, 27 says, The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not cover the silver or the gold that is on them. They're beautiful. Or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor, for it is devoted to destruction. That was an accursed thing, so I threw it out. And then um, there are some things that we may find maybe not as harmful, but listening to music with violent content and immoral lyrics. Playing violent video games can disturb our spirit. Watching movies that are immoral, that devalue women, that portray perverted sex, all this can open the door for curses in our marriages and in our lives. Also, pentagrams and horoscopes 
yin-yang symbols sometimes can have a spiritual meaning attached to them. Emblems of lodges, Freemasonry. If you're a Mason, you call down curses upon yourself when you joined. And those curses will affect your spouse and will affect your children and grandchildren and your own health. There needs to be deliverance. Anything used in fortune telling, tarot cards, Ouija boards that are now sold in, in, in toy stores, crystal balls, witching wands are cursed objects that need to be destroyed. We want the blessing of God over our home. I recommend that you go to your house. We did that. Did a cleansing. Start with what grabs your attention first. And throw things out. If you can burn them, burn them. If not, tear them to shreds. Throw them in the garbage. And, and get them off your property. And close that door. Sometimes even gifts that we received from certain people and we kept, they, they can be a soul tie between us and that person that is not always healthy to have. Get rid of it. Another door that, uh, through which a curse can enter our life is when we speak against the seed of Abraham. God tells Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. Anti-Semitism, hating the Jews, is a sin that brings curse on us and our family. We don't have to agree with all Israel's political decisions. That's not what we're, we're talking about here. But we have to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as the Bible teaches us, and bless the seed of Abraham if we want God to bless us. Now, something that is important for us to understand is that blessings and curses do not affect us singularly. In other words, almost always, blessings and curses are passed down to us from previous generations and from us to future generations. So I want us to think right now about our family of origin, about our lineage, about our parents, grandparents, previous generations. Because all of us have two parents, but our two parents gave us four grandparents, and four grandparents together had 16 parents and, and grandparents of their own, and those 16 had 32 and so on. So when we think about that, we suddenly realize that it, it, it is important what happens to at least 30 people in our lineage before us and how they lived because their lives can influence and affect us and our children. Now, we may ask, but isn't it true that when we come to Christ, we become new creations? The old is gone, and we're free from any and every curse. That would be desirable. But what we see happening with ourselves and with most people is that we get saved, but we continue to struggle in certain sins. It is just like when you buy a house, you own it, it's yours, but that house sometimes can come infested with parasites of all kinds, with critters and, and bugs and mold. You own that house. But now you have to go specifically after every area that is not how it should be, and you need to resolve it. 
And this is the reality with believers. We get saved by right and by principle. We are new creations. The old has gone. Behold, everything is made new. But practically, we still struggle with different parasites, with anger and with addictions, with worldly passions, and we need to address those issues. I remember in seminary, we debated a very important question. Do we ever sin alone? And I believe that we never sin alone, even if no one sees us. In the spiritual realm, there are always consequences for our actions, and those consequences affect not only us, but can affect our children and grandchildren, and will be affected um, by, by, they will be affected by what we do in secret. And some of those indicators for generational curses, they, they can look different ways, but could be that our soul is assaulted by fears and anxieties, by forces that drive us to imbalance, to emotional imbalance, to addictions, to compulsions, obsessions uh, that we can resist, frequent accidents, even chronic illnesses could be transmitted spiritually because of a sin committed by a blood relative. If we're constantly at the doctor, this hurts, the other hurts, and there is no clear diagnosis or no new diagnosis, it may be, it just may be, an illness that is inherited as a result of a curse that comes through our spiritual lineage. Now, very important to understand, not every illness automatically is the result of a curse that is not true. But if there is suspicion, it is important to do a thorough examination, medical and spiritual and generational, to find answers. And the most competent diagnostician is the Holy Spirit. If you have an illness that, or that your parents had or maybe your grandparents also suffered from, and you suspect that it may be, maybe, is, is a curse, is a spiritual situation, you need to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what is at the root of this problem? Because sin can affect us and our children and grandchildren and future generation in some of these forms. Now, as one whose mother practiced some forms of witchcraft in the home, I had aunts who were known top witches in their villages. I would like to say that if any of those 30-plus direct family members from your past were ever involved in witchcraft, mediums, tarot cards predicting the future in tea or coffee, or the palms, Freemasonry, or any other form of the occult, those curses affect your family in the future. So it's important, just like when we go to the doctor and we're asked for a family history of physical illnesses, we need to examine our family tree. Ask questions of people who, who know the answers and who remember and identify the presence of a potent or the potential presence of the enemy or of a cult in your family. Much more could be said about this, so much more. But the most important question is, is it possible to be free of these family curses? And how do I do that? 
And the answer is, it is possible. It is possible. Freedom of any form of curse is possible because of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. There is no priest, no pastor, no personal effort, no human being that can free us from any curse. What can break the curse in our life and in our family is only the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. We all come to him, and we all come from different backgrounds. Here we have different needs and weaknesses and burdens. But no matter how great our need and how ugly our past is and our family's past is, God's solution is the same. His son crucified on the hill of Calvary, and in his blood there is power not only to save us, but also to deliver us from any curse. Now, how do we address practically a curse in our life? When we suspect a family curse, we do two things. We repent and we denounce the devil and intentionally seek deliverance. We seek someone who can pray with us to break that curse. And we reposition ourselves under the blessing of God So we can now transmit blessing to the next generation after us. And this can be done once or sometimes has to be done. It's a process. It can be done uh, a series of times until there is deliverance. Now, I would like to leave here today knowing that no matter what you did, in your life, no matter what your ancestors did. When you repent, when you come to Jesus, any guilt, any curse can be broken by the sacrifice of Jesus. And you don't have to live under the dark cloud all your life. Jesus came to save us from our sins, but he also took upon himself our infirmities and he was made curse, the Bible says, for us so that we can become whole, so that we can inherit blessedness. What amazing salvation. What amazing healing. What amazing victory the sacrifice of Jesus brought us over the power and curses of the devil. Satan is a defeated foe by the blood of Jesus, our Savior. That's why for eternity, we will do what John describes in the book of Revelation. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. There is a solution for what you are going through. My mother, for a period of time, knew the Lord. And she went away from the Lord, but that that spiritual place in her heart was left open 
So she became involved in the occult. And she was guessing in the future and people's coffee, she would go to witches to find different answers. Uh, she put curses on people, she even cursed me and insisted that a mother's curse sticks. And uh, I remember telling her that I'm a believer in Jesus. No curse sticks on me. But only after I noticed some, some trends in, in my life, some things that I didn't like, I suspected that they could be curses. And I brought that before the Lord. I had someone pray for me. And we broke that power of the occult that was on our family and from over me uh, and, and, and my family. And we canceled those curses that were spoken over me and closed that door that my mother opened to the dark forces in our family lineage in the name of Jesus. So now I can be a source of blessing for my family and future generations. Don't put up with generational curses. So what I would like us to do right now, the altar here, the front of the church here is open. Someone can pray for you. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Many of us had to do that so we can now walk in victory. We had to deny the past and, 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 and break the past so that we can be a blessing for future generations. So I would like the team, um, the praying team, to please come forward, um, as well as the, the worship team. And um, as they softly play and, and sing, I would like us to, um, to come before the Lord and, and to come forward, if you, if you would like, so that we can, um, so we can pray for you. This is an important, it's an important um, issue that sometimes we don't even realize that we have problems with. So please come, there is no shame in it. Um, I invited some other um, prayer warriors to come to the front and we'd love to pray for you and uh, bless you and break that power of the enemy. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.